You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Oh, when you think of SEC football, you think of physicality. You think of pageantry, tradition, Death Valley, between the hedges, good old Rocky Top, and of course, Roll Tide. But we did we see a changing of the guard last year with Alabama's loss to Clemson in the national championship game? Rockin' Rich Sermonello, did we see a chink in the armor of the mighty SEC last year? Oh, heck no, Joe. I, I don't think there are any changes going forward from what I see is Alabama and everyone else. I, I love the SEC just like you do. You mentioned the pageantry, pageantry, the history, the pipeline to the NFL, all the great coaches, the great crowds, the great venues. That is never going to change. But in 2017, in the foreseeable future, there is such a gap between the tide and everybody else. We'll talk about all the teams today, and there will be some sleepers. But at the end of the day, I think it's Alabama and the rest of the crowd chasing them. I don't see any change in 2017, Joe. That'll be the conversation today. Sit back, relax. Rich and I have you covered for the next two hours. Front and center stage, SEC football. We'll talk SEC with a great guest on tap. Malik Zaire should be joining us at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. uh, Excuse me, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 a.m. on the West Coast. And then 11.30 a.m., we're going to be joined by former LSU running back Keelan Williams. We'll get Keelan's take about LSU. Ed Ogeron, some intriguing uh, uh, situation down there with the media. We'll talk about that with Keelan along with Darius Geis. So sit back, relax. We have you covered for the next two hours. You want to talk college football with us? Give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter at GoForTheTwo. That's the number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C. I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Rich, when you think about the top-heavy SEC, I mean, you're talking about a team in Alabama that ran the table last year. They were 14-0 before they made it to the national championship game against Clemson, but they were 9-0 in SEC play. They dominated the competition by 24.8 points per game. Games were not even close. Their closest game on the road in Oxford against Ole Miss and Chad Kelly But there's some changes now heading into 2017. Six starters lost on that defensive front seven, including Reuben Foster. Marlon Humphrey is gone, and Eddie Jackson as well. Uh, This could possibly be the year that Alabama takes a step back. Yeah, listen, we're always looking every season. I agree with you. Every year they're, they're replacing players that go to the next level. This year is no different. But the one thing that they do have for the first time in years is a returning starter at quarterback. They went to the title game last year with Jalen Hurts as a true freshman. Now they have him back this year, so that offense may be able to pick up a little more of the slack than it has in recent seasons. We're going to take a quick break. When Rich and I come back, we'll be delving into the SEC East. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
back on College Football Today, live from Studio 34. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. We're going to head right into the SEC East. And, Rich, this is a team I want to bring up right away at the start of the show. We're talking Alabama in the beginning. We'll get to that in the second hour with the SEC West. But I really want to delve into Butch Jones and the Tennessee Volunteers, all the fanfare last year. This was the team that was supposed to break through and win the SEC East. They started out 5-0 and and fell off a cliff to finish at 9-4 and overall. They now lose Derek Barnett. They lose Jalen Reeves-Maben. They lose Josh Dobbs, Jalen Hurd, along with Alvin Kamara. And oh, by the way, Josh Malone. This was a defense, Rich, that allowed 218 rushing yards per game last Last year against opposing offenses, I don't see any way this team finishes above 500 in 2017. Wow. Well, you know what? It's a good way to start the show because this is actually one of my mild sleepers in 2017. Ooh. So we are on complete opposite spectrums. I think, Joe, the fact that Butch Jones and the Volunteers, for the first time in a couple of years, enter a season without heightening expectations now we're all looking at this team as possibly a 500 club you mentioned all of the departures all of the openings that they have on offense and defense i think that plays well into the hand of butch jones he has been recruiting a ton of talent in the last couple of recruiting cycles had a chance to watch and break down some film on Quentin Dormady, who I think is going to be the successor uh, at quarterback. I'm really impressed. I actually think that he might be a better all-around pocket passer than Joshua Dobbs. I think Tennessee is going to be a mild surprise, not predicting that they'll win the SEC East, but I think they're going to exceed expectations now that they can exhale a little bit without that sort of target on their back. Well, here's the thing, Rich. If this team, let's say, goes six and six or goes eight and four again and doesn't live up to the expectation of an SEC East title, is Butch Jones gone? Because I think he is. I mean, at what point do you say he's had enough time after Derek Dooley, after Lane Kiffin? I mean, after all Mm -hmm. of that turmoil, he's had the opportunity now to instill his foundation. We were supposed to get Charles Davis on the show, and he was a big backer of Butch Jones last year and said, though, that last year was the make-it-or-break-it year. Now you lose Josh Dobbs, who, in my opinion, I agree with you on Dormady, but here's the thing about Josh Dobbs. Where was the signature SEC win in his career? He almost beat Alabama. He almost beat, mm-hmm. right, Florida, almost, but he didn't do it. So now when you yeah. look at Dormady that comes into the program, he's got a big play wide receiver in Jennings. They have Kelly at the, at the running back position that I think is adequate. I don't think he's an elite back like some of the others in the right. conference. Where's the production going to come? Uh, where is that production and where is, I want to say, the resolve to overcome adversity? Is it in Dormandy? Because I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, and listen, you have a right to not be sure because he has limited experience. I'm basing it on spring games, spring practices, off season, which, you know, you really can't hang your hat on that, and I accept that. I'm really basing my optimism on the recruiting classes and the psychological mindset. Now, to your point about Butch Jones, Joe, if he goes 6-6 six and six, or if you're correct and he's under 500, to me that's a slam dunk. He's gone. There's no question about it. But although he belongs in hot seat discussions, 
are we being a little bit too uh, overreactive for a coach that has had back-to-back nine-win seasons? Now, I, I know the the benchmark, the bar is set at winning the SEC East, and it should be because this is an eminently winnable division, which Tennessee has not done in a very long time. But back-to-back nine-win seasons, I think if he goes eight and four, which is what my prediction is for this season, I do think he'll be back in 2018. Well, that's a, that's an intriguing uh, you know scenario because I have to see if that plays out. I, I do want to talk about their schedule because I don't think it's easy, especially with so mm-hmm. many moving parts. They open up uh, against Georgia Tech. That's not an easy game, especially when you look at— It's a great game, isn't it? It's an it's awesome game. game, week one. And here's the breakdown yeah. that I look at with that game. You know Georgia Tech wants to run the— football, right? I mean, they pound the football with the triple option. Triple option is a lot different in game speed than it is in practice situations. Georgia Tech was 3-0 and against SEC opponents last year. They beat up on Vanderbilt. They beat yeah. up Crosstown rival Georgia, and they killed Kentucky in the bowl game. That's not an easy game for Tennessee, especially when you look at the defensive holes that they have to fill, especially in run support. I mean, this Tennessee defense, when I brought up 218 rushing yards per game, they allowed four opponents, Rich, to rush for over 300. They allowed 353 to Texas A&M, 409 to Alabama. 443 to Kentucky and 420 to Missouri. How do you, that that's astronomical. That's 1600 yards in four games. I mean for a defense and that was with Derek Barnett and Jalen Reeves Maven. So I'm saying where's the production going to come out of the front seven? Now I know they have some talent. Uh, but that game yep. is not easy. And then they go on the road in the swamp. They face Georgia. Then they have a stretch here. South Carolina at Alabama, at Kentucky. They get a break, possibly with Southern Miss, at Missouri, mm-hmm. LSU, and Vanderbilt. That's not an easy schedule. And Southern Miss is going to run the ball, too, with Edo Smith, too. So there's, there's a lot of good rush offenses. It, listen, last year was surprising. I'm a Bob Shoup fan, the defensive coordinator who came over from Penn State, thought he would have a good first season. Didn't happen, especially with the talent that, that he inherited. My hope also is, Joe, that this is a, a football team that was besieged by injuries. I can't predict whether or not they're going to be healthier this season, but a lot of the players that Butch and that staff were counting on in 2016 just could not play a full season. So my hope is that the Khalil McKenzies, the offensive linemen who missed so much time last season, that those players, Evan Berry on special teams, those players are going to be more instrumental to what the volunteers are looking to do. Again, I I still think they're behind Georgia and Florida in the pecking order, but I don't expect to see a dramatic drop-off. I really believe that this is a team that is better suited to react when the expectations are lower. They just weren't prepared last year. They had some, you know, magnificent finishes, the Hail Mary against Georgia. A lot of that beefed up the record to get them to 9 and 4. But I think this is a team that could settle in nicely in an eight-win season, sort of lay that foundation for one more year. By 2018, they have to win the SEC East. I mean, at some point, they're going to have to step up, or it'll be time to move on from Butch Jones because he needs to get the— this is a program that expects— to at least be competing for the SEC East. And again, that has not happened for a very long time. I think we're in agreement, though. September will make or break this team. Uh, Georgia Tech at Florida, Georgia to end the month of September. I mean, if they go, uh, they lose two or three uh, or all three, 
they're in deep trouble. I mean, but we're, we're in agreement. If they can run the table, then yeah. they have Joe Mo on their side. And I don't want people to think yeah. in Knoxville that I'm a Tennessee hater. I grew up loving the Volunteers. I actually went there uh, to Knoxville, watched Peyton Manning play Deuce Staley and Anthony Wright in 1997. I, I'm a big, big backer of Cumberland Avenue over there. I just don't see it uh, this year at six and six. Rich has them at eight and four, but we'll see how it plays out week one because that is a very intriguing game uh, to yep. say the least with the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. We'll turn our attention to a team that I'm high on this year. It is Georgia and Kirby Smart in his second year, eight and five last year. Jacob Eason got his feet wet, but progressed as the season wore on. When you look at the offensive playmakers, Rich, I mean, you can't argue two of the top running backs in the nation and the SEC for that matter, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. But for me, it's this defense that really came on last year. They recorded 23 of the team's 29 total sacks in the last eight games in the year. That secondary led by Dominic Sanders is very tough as well. I like this team. This is my pick to win the East in 2017. Yeah, I, I think it's going to come down to the cocktail party in, in Jacksonville, as it has uh, many times in the past. Uh, Georgia, not just second season with Jacob Eason, second season with Kirby Smart. We know what he could do with defensive personnel. He's proven that in the past as Nick Saban's right-hand man at Alabama. Now he returns really almost the entire defense. I mean, they lose virtually nothing. A lot of speed off of the edge with players like Lorenzo Carter, David Bellamy. You mentioned some of the secondary kids. Trenton Thompson on the interior, Joe. I know you watched him in the bowl game against TCU. He was completely unstoppable. Then he had a rocky offseason where we were sort of wondering, is this kid going to still be in Athens? It looks as if that's his off-field issues have now been taken care of. So that defense should be dominant. For me, it all comes down to two things, offensive line, both production and depth, and then the development of Jacob Eason. I'm not completely sold. As the season progressed last year, I didn't see the maturation that I was expected, so I'll be very curious what we get from him uh, in his sophomore season. I don't know if he loves football. That's my question. It's probably a hard thing to say. I don't know if he loves football as much as his young backup, Jake Frome. So that's something to watch this season. That's an intriguing statement. We'll pick it up on the back end. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking Georgia Bulldogs. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Today, Studio 34, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. We left off talking about Jacob Eason and the Georgia Bulldogs. Let's keep it where it is. When you look at Jacob Eason last year, Rich, I had said that I thought it was very important for Kirby Smart to start Eason as a freshman. They did have Grayson Lambert there that they could have turned to, but if they went with Grayson Lambert last year and the team, let's say, went 9-3 and or 10-3 and after a bowl victory, isn't that what Mark Rick did there and didn't live up to expectations? So I thought it was very important to throw him into the fire, and I agree with you. At times, he did look like a deer in the headlights. He only threw 16 touchdown passes. He did have eight interceptions, but eight 
touchdown passes over the last seven games of the season, only three interceptions, and that's what allowed the rushing attack of Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle to take form later in the year. And I think that that's what they can carry through into 2017. Yeah, you you bring up an excellent point. We probably talked about it last September too, Joe. I I, I think that was the the right move by Kirby Smart. You're playing for 2017 and 2018 when you start Jacob Eason last year. It makes total sense. Uh, much higher ceiling naturally than Grayson Lambert. I I, I don't want to be too harsh with a kid who's a true freshman, blue chipper or not. Uh, so I'm not going to. I, I'm going to play a wait and see this season to see if he has the maturation and the development in terms of his reads, his decision makings, uh, his overall pocket presence. Again, as the season went on, I thought he was just okay. I didn't see a dramatically different player in November and December than I did in September, but now he's a sophomore. One of the concerns that I have also is, where are his go-to receivers? Where are those big play targets that are going to help him to elevate? He's got a ton of help behind him, but the offensive line is marginal. The receivers look average right now, so I wonder if that's going to hinder the development of Eason. And again, not suggesting it for the opener. May not even happen this season, but Jake Fromm is another blue-chip quarterback that Kirby Smart brought in, and he has the intangibles, the tenacity, the passion that I think will keep some pressure on Eason going forward. I agree with you. You brought up a great point about the wide receivers. They do lose Isaiah McKenzie that did have some issues there, entered the NFL draft and did sign uh, with one NFL team. Not sure who he signed with uh, this upcoming season. That puts a lot of pressure on Terry Godwin. I like Terry Godwin, though. I think he's an athletic wide receiver. Uh, that reminds me of Malcolm Mitchell. But I agree with you in terms of the explosiveness. They need to get their tight ends more involved. Jeb Blazevich, that was involved a couple of years ago uh, under Brian Schottenheimer, and more importantly before that with former offensive coordinator Mike Bobo, I think they have to go back to the tight end. Now, here's the thing I think that they really have to utilize is the ability of Sony Michelle in the short to intermediate passing game. Because if there's one running back that resembles a young Reggie Bush, to me, it is Sony Michelle. You could put him out on the slot, utilize him on nickelbacks and linebackers to create one-on-one matchups. And uh, Corey Allen, who you know is a friend of the show, I told him, you better tell Kirby Smart, Corey, to utilize Sony Michelle in the short to intermediate passing game because because that can open up the offense and take the pressure not only off the offensive line, but Jacob Eason. Man, that's a great idea. That's a fantastic idea because you have feature backs in Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle who could start for a ton of teams across the country, and I'm sure that that coaching staff in Athens is going to look for ways to get both of those athletes on the field at the same time. And if you could move someone like Sony Michelle, does he have good hands, Joe? I haven't paid enough attention Incredible hands. to his and, pass and catching skill. Okay. Incredible. And the one thing go. about the one thing about Michelle, uh, Rich, that you really need to watch is that Mike Bobo, and he didn't get enough credit either. The the new head coach at Colorado State last year, everybody in Athens wanted him out, and all Georgia did was score points at a premium with Todd Gurley, and he utilized Michelle in the short intermediate passing game. When Schottenheimer got there, I mean, this team took a major step back, especially in third-down conversions. Last year, they got it back up to 41%. But two years ago, under Schottenheimer, they were at 31% rich. The three previous years with Mike Bobo, they were 49%, 41%, and 47%. 
Brian Schottenheimer took that team into the ground, and now they have it back up. And if they utilize Michelle, I think they could be an explosive offense. Can you imagine with that backfield, and, and now that Nick is is a second year removed from the serious knee injury, you would expect him to be a little more confident in his cuts, a little closer to the pre-injury player who was you know, a 100-yard-a-game machine. Could you imagine Jacob Eason on play action? When you know that you have one or both of those backs behind you, he should be a dominant quarterback on play action passes but again it's going to need more support on the outside if Godwin is a kid who could take the top off of defenses even if there's an element of that big play passing game that takes the running game and amps it up twofold so there is a lot of potential for this offense interesting game in the opener against Appalachian State never a team to be taken lightly they have a dynamic young cornerback in Clifton Duck who will go uh, directly against Jacob Eason and then in week two Joe you got at Notre Dame and and that Notre Dame defense that's looking to regroup off of uh, off of last season so a lot of good matchups in September for the Bulldogs Rich that's a rematch of the the Sugar Bowl where Herschel Walker yeah I mean that is that is a traditional game front and center stage brings back memories for me but I, I we're in agreement again here's another team in the month of September that really needs to start fast because it can make or break their season overall because they open with App State then they go on the road to South Ben. They have Samford after that with Mississippi State. Not an easy game, even though Mississippi State's defense a little suspect. They do have Nick Fitzgerald at the quarterback position on the road at Tennessee and then on the road at Vandy, which always seems to play Georgia very, very tough each and every year. I mean, every year, I mean, they're in there with the Georgia Bulldogs. So, uh, again, that's not an easy slate to start September and October. No, and listen, you you operate in the SEC, you're never going to have an easy schedule. Uh, Georgia tends to always have those tricky non-conference games. I mean, you have the one FCS opponent, but Notre Dame, Appalachian State, obviously wrapping up the season with the annual game against Georgia Tech, which is always difficult. So, you know, it's a big season for Kirby Smart. Last year was the uh, foundation-setting season. You went with the true freshman quarterback. A lot of changes on defense. Now you have the full complement on defense. Surprisingly, both of the running backs come back. So, you know, this is a team that is lined up to make a run in an SEC East title. We're waiting on Florida quarterback Malik Zaire to join us, so we're going to hold off on the Florida talk. We'll kick it up. Here's a team that I'm very high on for 2017, Rich. It is Missouri. A surprising Missouri Tiger team. When I look at the Tigers overall, to me, they have the offensive firepower with Drew Locke, Demaria Crockett, and Jamon Moore. I think this team could be explosive, and they really showcased that at the end of 2016. I I think they're going to surprise some people in the SEC East this year with Barry Odom. Yeah, Missouri, I agree with you first off. Missouri is the type of team that uh, they're going to try to drag you into shootouts. And and they have the offensive firepower with Crockett, with Moore, with Drew Locke behind center, now a year older. Demetrius 
uh, Demetrius Mason on the outside as well. It's an offense that can compete with the marginal defenses in the SEC. Now, defensively, a lot of question marks. They lose a bunch of starters. I'm interested, Joe, to see that defensive line, D-line Zoo, which has been so good over the years. Yes, they lose talent, but Marcel Frazier is the new star defensive end. And Terry Beckner, if you remember him a couple of years ago, five-star recruit, hasn't put it all together, gets injured last season just when it looks like he's ready to take off. This is his opportunity as a junior to possibly have a salary run season and then head off to the NFL from the inside. So it's an interesting program. I think they'll be fun to watch at a minimum this season playing in a lot of shootouts. They could be one of the most explosive offenses in the SEC this year. I mean, even though you mentioned teams like Texas A&M, you mentioned a team like Tennessee with Dormandy, uh, obviously Alabama uh, and LSU to throw in there in the mix, but Missouri just has a wow factor about them. Now, the one thing about Matty Mock that I will say, two years ago, he was a a very inconsistent quarterback that uh, took over, excuse me, Drew Locke for Matty Mock uh, as a freshman. Mm -hmm. He only completed Completed 49% of his passes, looked like a deer in the headlights. But last year, as a sophomore, he progressed and really came on as the season wore on. And that's why I like this team. And when you throw Crockett in, he did get suspended for that uh, season-ending victory over Arkansas in Columbia. But Jamon Moore, this is a kid as well. Defensively, they're going to make. They need to make some adjustments, though. Rich, they allowed 232 rushing yards per game. That was up almost 100 yards from the year before. In order for them to take the next step, the defensive front seven needs to get better this year. Yeah, and one more thing to keep in mind, too, while we're both bullish on Missouri, second season for Barry Odom. Don't ever discount the importance of a coach who finally is settling into this position, has a better handle on his talent, has another recruiting class, knows a little more of what it takes to be a head coach. Barry Odom had never been a head coach before, obviously knows Missouri, former player, former assistant for Gary Pinkle, but now he has that first season under his belt. I think this staff will be better poised for success in 2017 as well. It's another conversation to have. He's another defensive coordinator that became a head coach, like Pat Narduzzi, like Bo Pelini, like even Bob Stoops. And the defensive side of the ball seems to slip a little bit. Isn't that isn't that always the case yep. lately? It seems like it's really unbelievable because two years ago, when he was the D coordinator there, they were dominant in run support and that's the thing that we're going to catch and we'll talk about on the back end of the break stay with us this is joe lisi ritz sermonello we're just kicking it up a notch studio 34 fantasy sports radio network Talking a little SEC East football, we left off with Missouri. Let me just say this before we kick it up, back into some SEC football talk. If you want to watch a college football game each and every Saturday, Rock and Riley Studio 34, this place is kicking. I'm telling you, I'm here every Saturday. I watch all the 12 o'clock games. This is the place to be, especially if you're going to watch Missouri and their explosive offense. And that's where we left off with Rich and I talking Drew Locke, talking Crockett, talking more. But we were talking about a defensive-minded coach in Barry Odom that took over the program for Gary Pinkle. 
and the defense starts to slip, and you're hoping as a, as a fan that we just don't have another explosive offense with a seven-on-seven defense, Rich. I mean, listen, that might be the case, and it'll probably drive Barry Odom nuts. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I think about this. You know, the, uh, the old man starts a business, builds a business, has a successful business. Everything goes swimmingly. Then he hands it off to someone else. He hands it off to his son, his daughter, and things are never the same. And I think that's the case with a lot of these defensive coordinators. Barry Odom is a terrific D.C., but he can't have his hands in it the way he used to. Now he's the CEO. He's spending more time with the media, spending more time on the recruiting trail, doing a lot of high-level stuff. So he's pulled away from the defense. And that's not a disrespect to his successors at Missouri, but didn't do a very good job last year. And there's a rich tradition particularly defensive uh, defensive linemen. The linebackers are scrappy. They've sent some corners and safeties to the NFL. So I know it is a top priority of Barry Odom to get more production of the defense. And you know what, Joe? If they do, this is the team that could be better than Tennessee if they get a little, uh, little more help on the defensive side of the ball. Well, I picked them ahead of Tennessee. I picked Missouri at 7-5, mm-hmm. and five, Tennessee at 6-6 uh, six and six overall. And when you look at some of the defensive talent that he, he coached, Shane Ray, Charles Harris, I mean, those are two top-flight oh, defensive players. Yep. So it's got to be driving them nuts. When you allow 232 rushing yards on the ground, now I understand they run a very high up-tempo attack, uh, 10, 14 seconds between plays. So now your defense is out there for longer periods of time. And you can look at that Tennessee game in Knoxville. They were toe-to-toe with the Volunteers, and then they kicked a field goal when they were in the red zone. And then Josh Dobbs in the last five minutes of the game took over, and they won that ball game by 26 points. It was a seven-point game the whole third quarter and fourth quarter for the most part. And then they just wore down. So that's, that's sort of the risk-reward that you have with the up-tempo offensive attack. And if you're going to run that kind of a system, as you know, Joe, you have to have not just frontline talent, but you have to have defensive depth because these guys are on the field so long. They're being run ragged by the second half of a game. You need to have those backups ready to step up and contribute like starters. That did not happen in Columbia last year. I'll just reiterate one point. I'm really high on Marcel Frazier. If you look at the way he finished the season last year, looked like he could be the next defensive end who'll use Mizzou as a a launching point to the NFL. And Terry Beckner, again, the kid on the interior, if he plays up to expectations, that inside-outside punch of Beckner and Frazier could help a back seven that's really going to need it this season. And and we're going to look at their schedule quickly. They open with Missouri State. They have South Carolina, Purdue, and Auburn. They get a bye week at Kentucky at Georgia, two very difficult games. Then Idaho for homecoming at UConn, Florida, Tennessee, at Vandy, at Arkansas. Winnable games. Not going to be easy, but winnable mm-hmm. games. And when you have a quarterback like Drew Locke that is going to be an experienced guy entering his junior season, anything can happen. But we'll see how it plays out. And that's what makes college football so special is the uncertainty. We don't know who's going to come front and center stage just yet. Might have an idea by October, but we'll be chomping mm-hmm. at the bit and covering it from start to finish 
right here each and every Saturday. Rich, let's talk about the Florida Gators. We'll hope to get Malik Zaire on in the second hour. If not, we'll get him on before the season starts. But let's talk about the job that Jim McElwain has done now. Back-to-back SEC East victories with the type of talent that he's lost on the defensive side of the ball in back-to-back years. I mean, a really fantastic job in terms of recruiting and coaching that talent up. Well, I, listen, he has been succeeding with one hand. That one hand is his offensive hand tied behind his back because they get such little help, not just the past two seasons, but look at this entire decade. Did you ever spe- expect to see a program that used to be run by Steve Spurrier, <laughs> used to be run by Urban Meyer, being so necrotic? on offense as Florida has been. They just haven't been able to turn the corner, and that's why you know, there's this cautious optimism with the addition of a Malik Zaire that maybe he can maximize the talent because, Joe, you know this. They have skill position talent. I love Antonio Callaway on the field more than off the field, but I love <laughs> Antonio Callaway. I think Jordan Scarlett is a player who has a lot of potential that hasn't been fully shown. The offensive line, led by Martez Ivy, is beginning to grow up. So they are competent quarterback play away from not being Spurrier-esque but certainly being more potent than we've seen over the past few seasons. Now we have the flip side. We have a a former offensive coordinator in in Jim McElwain that moved on from Alabama and Colorado State that comes here to Gainesville, and now the offense is is the problem. The defense is lights out, and the offense is uh, prehistoric caveman style. I will say this about Florida's offense. When he took over in 2014, they were averaging 184 rushing yards per game. They had offensive balance. Over the last couple of years now, they have not been able to run the football consistent, uh, consistently. I understand there's been some offensive line issues over the last couple of years, but let's be honest. Last year, they rushed for 128 rushing yards per game. The year before, it was 126 yards on the ground. In the last six games of the year, Rich, last year, they did not have a rushing touchdown. I mean, that's a phenomenal statistic when you think about it. If they can't run the football early on in the season, no matter who plays quarterback, there's going to be more pressure on the offensive line. It's going to make them one-dimensional in third-down situations, and they'll be right in the area of 8-4 and again. I will say this, though. I'm so impressed with that defense. Two statistics that I want you to reply on and tell me, especially when you think about the landscape of college football. They held every opponent under 58% completion percentage last year and they held 7 of 13 under 50% completion percentage. When you think about the landscape of college football those are two phenomenal statistics for the loss of talent that he's had. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's really Alabama-like their ability to overcome wholesale changes on defense. They have these Sunday players, these NFL caliber next level players on defense that they lose year in and year out. And then, you know what? This year it's going to be Jabari Zuniga. This year it's going to be Duke Dawson, who I love in the secondary. This year it's going to be CeCe Jefferson, who I think evolves into a national headline 
type of a defensive lineman. So year in and year out, Jeff Collins is gone. He's now the head coach at Temple, the defensive coordinator. Now it's up to Randy Shannon, who knows the state of Florida about as well as anybody in the coaching profession. So a remarkable job by Florida year in and year out to sort of keep that program afloat with its defensive prowess. And here's the thing I think that when you think about Florida overall in terms of the quarterback play. I mean, two years ago we had a guy in Will Greer that now is with West Virginia. Virginia, but sort of the guy that he was molding. They were 6-0 and with Greer. He got busted for PED use, never came back to the program and transferred to West Virginia where he'll probably be the starter this year. And then last year, a kid in, from Oregon State in Luke Del Rio that really seemed to come on. And I really thought they were a much better team at the quarterback position with Luke Del Rio at the helm than they were at the end of the year with Austin Appleby. And when I look at this team entering 2017, even with the addition of Malik Zaire, I still think the guy, in my opinion, is Luke Del Rio. Do you feel that as well? I mean, I feel like he was a McIlwain guy. No, I, I think the competition is going to come down to Zaire and Felipe Franks. I, I think one of it, it's it's very... Uh, similar to what we discussed with Georgia. Do you go with the young player and begin the future with Franks, or do you go with the one-year uh, transfer? Uh, Grayson Lambert was not a one-year transfer, but a two-year transfer. But do you go with the veteran transfer uh, in a Malik Zaire? That's going to be the question for Jim McAway, and that's going to be the question for the Gators throughout this month. And you know what? We talk about openers all the time. Um how about a show-me game for both Florida and Michigan in Arlington in that opener? We don't know what to expect from the Florida offense. We don't know what to expect from the rebuilt Michigan defense. But what I adore about openers is everything we've talked about in the offseason, now we get to see it play out on the field we get to see whether we were right or wrong in terms of our prognostications, at least for one week. Yeah, and the one thing I think when you look at it, it is a rematch of the bowl game that Michigan dominated two years ago, 41-7 to in Orlando. I mean, they just crushed Florida. I mean, Florida did not show up in that ball game. Keep in mind that I think Jim McElwain will have this crew focused and ready from an effort standpoint. We'll see how it plays out as we inch closer to the season. So I agree with you, Rich. And I'll say this about the SEC. They do get some negativity in terms of their late season FCS scheduling. But week number one, they fear nobody. They come right out of the gate and they're hitting toe to toe with Apollo Creed. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's going to be just an outstanding matchup. So many of these players that you know we haven't gotten to see full bore yet. I mentioned Duke Dawson. You know, he's been a Nickelback. Now he's going to be in all likelihood a starting corner. All of those Michigan players, Donovan Peoples Jones, the true freshman, uh, going against the Florida secondary. That's really what I enjoy about September football. Uh, in college football is the great unknowns we start to kind of pull back the curtain on those players to see if they're the real deal or not we'll finish up the sec east stay with us jolisi rich sermonello on the fantasy sports radio network Wrapping up the SEC East, Rich and I talk Georgia, we talk Florida, Missouri, Tennessee, 
We'll end with Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina. I will say this about Kentucky. Really high on Benny Snell, Rich. Love him his and his ability to run the football. I like Johnson at the quarterback position, but I'm not sold on this front seven. That's still allowed over 200 rushing yards per game. I picked them right in the area, 6-6. Six and six. Vanderbilt, another team. I love Ralph Webb. Kyle Shermer, though, is another guy, only nine touchdown passes last year that needs to step up. I think they'll be battling right there with Kentucky. I picked them at 6-6 six and six overall. And then in the basement, Will Muschamp and the South Carolina Gamecocks, a lot of people high on this team because they were 6-7 and seven last year with Jake Bentley at the quarterback position and Rico Dowdle at the running back position. But I'll say this, the only team they beat with a winning record was the Tennessee Volunteers. I think they take a step back and i'm picking them at four and eight for 2017 do uh do you recommend i go with where i agree with you joe or where i disagree with you on these uh, you could go programs. wherever you want Rich. You recommend you can go All the right. floor well, is yours. i'll say i love benny snell as well let's let's quickly go i'll go nuggets here i'll go quick nuggets uh love benny snell like the offense at kentucky agree with you defensively although they do have some pretty good individual playmakers. Not enough overall talent, but a Jordan Jones at linebacker, uh, Josh Allen off of the edge. Uh, they have Denzel Ware. They'll get to the quarterback. It's an interesting team. If they can go to a bowl game again, that's that's a good sign for Stoops. Let me just, I won't go Vandy. South Carolina is where the big difference is. I think this is a sneaky good program heading into this season for a couple of reasons, Joe. Uh, one of, if not the youngest team in the SEC last season, typified by their quarterback, Jake Bentley. Uh, I thought Jake played exceedingly well. Of all the young quarterbacks, and there are a lot of good young quarterbacks in the SEC, I think that's a theme for 2017. I think Jake Bentley might be the best one long term. He gets back Debo Samuel, terrific all-around playmaker, a kid who you could use on jet sweeps, use uh, obviously on the outside as a receiver. And then defensively, second year with Will Muschamp, we talked about Barry Odom, defensive coordinator, has his system in place. But he gets back Sky Moore in the middle of that defense, one of the better linebackers in the league before missing all of last year with a neck injury. So I think a little more veteran stability, not calling for an SEC East title, but I think this is a team that could win seven. Wow. And if they get a break or two along the way, maybe be one of these real surprise eight and four teams out of the SEC. I just think better than expectations. And then quickly, before I hand the mic over to you again, how about that opener against NC State, a team that I think you and I both like? I'm curious to see what that young South Carolina team could do against Dave Doran's Wolfpack. Yeah, I love that game week number one. I said it on air. I, I love NC State there. But I'll say this about South Carolina. Here's Will Muschamp. Couldn't turn around Auburn's defense. Now he goes to South Carolina. Can't turn around the South Carolina defense, even though Skay Moore, I agree with you. He's solid in run support, one a very athletic linebacker that can run sideline to sideline. But now he has an explosive offense, something that he couldn't do as head coach in Gainesville. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? I mean, yeah. he was run out of town because they can shut the door on any type of offense but couldn't score a lick. And now he goes to South Carolina, and all of a sudden they're yeah. putting up 30 points per game. 
And listen, I think that'll continue this season. We talked about some of the playmakers. How about the tight end combination of Hayden Hurst and Casey Crosby, four starting offensive linemen back? And I'm telling you, watch, not you because I know you know this, but the audience, watch Jake Bentley this season, a coach's son. He knows football. He's excited to be a sophomore this season. I think he's going to have a very good second year. And Will Muschamp could be a bit of a surprise uh, for the Gamecocks this year. First hour in the books. When we come back, we'll be kicking around the SEC West. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. <laughs> 